Good morning. It is good to be with you and it's good to have you with us. And we're delighted that you come to worship God and to study His Word today with us. I want to begin this morning with a story. You know, when I preached in Jasper, Alabama, uh, after living there for about two years, uh, Teresa and I decided, well, we wanted to go down and uh, uh, participate and attend a gospel meeting in Tuscaloosa. And it, was a bit of a, it would have been a bit of a drive for us. Uh, but uh, we said, well, let's go down to this gospel meeting and, and uh, have fellowship with the brethren there. Now, we hadn't been down in Tuscaloosa yet, and so we've not traveled that path. And uh, so it's going to be a new drive for us. But we knew that it was pretty simple. You know, you know, we were to take Highway 69 basically all the way to the church building. And so I had pictured in mind a, a, a certain way that this was going to go. And I assumed that it was a fairly straight shot you know, to, to the destination. And so we were heading down, and we were having an enjoyable ride as a family, and I wasn't paying close attention to the Highway 69 road signs, and I missed a turn. Fortunately, uh, I caught my, my mistake pretty quickly, and we turned around and got heading back in the right direction. So from then on, I was being much more careful and watching yeah, and being attentive to where we were going and how we were to get there. And so I did not miss the second turn. It wasn't as, as straight of a shot that I thought it was going to be. But it was Highway 69 all the way. And so a lesson learned. When it comes to religion, when it comes to faith, the majority of people constantly make assumptions, do we not? A lot of us make assumptions when it comes to spiritual things. And a lot of people assume they already know how to get to heaven. They already have in their mind what, you know, what they think this is the way you know, a person gets to heaven. Now every soul that has ever lived and will ever live is traveling to eternity. Eternity lies before every single one of us. But none of us have seen God with our physical eyes. And none of us have ever been in heaven where God is. So, nobody knows, nobody knows how to get there without God's directions that are found in the Holy Scriptures. All roads do not lead to heaven. Just like all roads don't lead to Tuscaloosa. You've got to know how to get there. And the same thing with God and with His dwelling place. All roads don't go to heaven. And there are not a variety of different roads, different paths you can take and still get there. So let's look in the Scriptures and see what the Bible says along this topic. First of all, I want to suggest to you the Bible is pretty clear to say that man's wisdom, your wisdom and my wisdom, our wisdom as human being is not the source. Our wisdom is not the source of salvation. 
And so we better not be assuming, you know, we already know how to get to heaven. That we already know the, the right way because, it, well, it's reasonable to the way I think. You know, it, it's reasonable to me. So I, I already know how to get there. Or it, it fits with my opinions. And, uh, and so I already know, you know, how to get to heaven where God is. Or, or maybe you know, it... it it makes, you know, this just is more comfortable to me emotionally. So, so I think this is the right way. That's all based on man's wisdom. We have not seen God except through the evidence of the universe, the evidence of his word. And we've not been to heaven yet. And so we don't know where heaven is in that great spiritual realm of eternity. And the wise men said in Proverbs chapter 14, there is a way, there is surely a way which seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. That's not very comforting, is it? In the same chapter, just a couple of verses down, you see the, it goes on to say, the naive believes everything, but the sensible, sensible man considers his steps. He pays attention. The prophet Jeremiah also talked about this concept of the danger of man's wisdom. In Jeremiah 10, verse 23, a familiar verse to many of us. When Jeremiah the prophet says, I know, O Lord, that man's way is not in himself. Jeremiah acknowledges this. Jeremiah confesses, God, I know it's not in man in himself. It's not in man's way, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. When man is left to himself, what happens? We make a mess of things. That's why the world is in such a big mess as it is. You and I, by ourselves, cannot fix it. We can't even fix ourselves by ourselves. Man's wisdom is not the source of salvation. The Apostle Paul expressed the same concept, the same sentiment in his first epistle, his first letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. When he, be, he has some questions he throws out, he says, where is the wise man? And where is the scribe? And where is the debater of this age? You know, where are all the smart folks? All the scholars of our ages. And in the context of chapter 1, he is implying that they are not the ones who are serving God. They are not the ones who are seeking Jesus. And he goes on to say in the same context, we preach Christ. We preach Christ crucified. To Jews, a stumbling block. Christ was a stumbling block to most Jews. To the Gentiles, that is, to the rest of the world, he says, to Gentiles, all the non-Jews, Christ is foolishness. To the majority of the world, Christ is foolish. God's plan is foolish. Man's wisdom is not the source of salvation. So we don't know how to get to heaven without God's help. Without God's instruction, without Christ's instruction. In James 3, in James 3, the Spirit directs 
James to write about wisdom. And there's a contrast here between wisdom that's from above and wisdom that is earthly. And it's interesting when you look at that passage and you think about what it says about earthly wisdom, man's wisdom. And basically what it says is earthly wisdom, well, first of all, it's not from God. It's not from above. And he says, and it leads to disorder. It leads to darkness. It leads to jealousy. It leads to selfishness. He leads to evil. Ultimately, that's where man's wisdom will take us. Down the wrong path in the wrong direction. As already been pointed out in our assembly this morning in the exhortations previously. In Acts chapter 4, the emphasis is that we cannot save ourselves apart from the divine plan, divine instruction, and that which comes from Jesus. The apostle Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 are before before the Jewish Sanhedrin, the Jewish leadership. They have been arrested because of preaching Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And as they give a defense uh, for the work that they're doing, for the truth that they're proclaiming, they make this statement in that discussion, in that defense, when he says, there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name In the context, the name is Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. If you want to be saved, it must be by the name, the authority of Jesus Christ. There's no one else. There's not many paths that lead to heaven. Christ is that path. In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, it says, speaking of the the manner that God has revealed himself in times past, he spoke to the fathers in various ways in verse 1, but then in verse 2, he continues the sentence and says, in these last days, he, that is God, has spoken to us in his Son. In these last days, in the last time of humanity, and we're in that time right now, God has spoken, and He's spoken to us through Jesus Christ. In these last days, God has spoken. But how? Through Christ. Through the message of the Messiah. And it goes on then in chapter 2 to say this in in verse 3. How will we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Where's that salvation? Well, that salvation is spoken to us through Jesus Christ. And if we neglect the salvation that has come to us through Jesus, that is proclaimed to us from Jesus, what hope is there? He goes on to say, after it was first spoken to the Lord, That's what the ministry of Jesus is all about. The ministry of Jesus is all about proclaiming himself to be God's son, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, and light of the world. It was first spoken through him, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard. Man's man's wisdom is not the source of salvation. Christ is. His message. And so therefore, righteousness... Righteousness is not 
a relative thing. Righteousness is not based upon our desires or our opinions or the trends of our times. No, righteousness has been established and has been prescribed to us by God through Jesus. If you want to know what was, is right, if you want to know what is righteousness, don't look to man's wisdom. Look to the wisdom that is revealed to you in the scriptures. For example, in Romans chapter 10, Romans 10 verses 1 through 4, it says, Brethren, Paul is writing here to the saints, to the Christians in the, the capital city of the Roman Empire. And he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. What Paul wanted most of all was people to be saved. Jews and Gentiles alike. He says, that's my prayer. People's salvation. And he goes on to say, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. They're zealous, all right. These are zealous people, religiously zealous. But he says, but it's not according to knowledge. It's not according to knowledge. In verse 3, he goes on to say, what, what, what are they doing? Then he says, he says, verse 3, for not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own See what he says? They don't know God's righteousness. And so what are they doing? Well, they're zealous and they're, they're establishing their own righteousness. And he goes on saying, and they do not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So they don't know what, what's right in the eyes of God. And so they establish what's right in their own eyes. And so the result, they are not obeying. They're not submitting to God and God's righteousness. Let's drop down in the context of Romans 10. As he continues to expand on this idea, because he says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Christ is the summation of righteousness. God's righteousness is fulfilled and summed up and made complete in Christ his Son. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It's interesting, and so in chapter 10, it starts talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so that we pick up there in verse 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. Everybody's the same in God's eyes now. Doesn't matter what our, what our nationality is. Doesn't matter what our ethnicity is. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. He says... In verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and non-Jew. All men are, are the same in the eyes of God. He says, for the same Lord, the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The end of the law of righteousness is Christ. And there are some who are very zealous toward God, but they're established in their own righteousness and not submitting to God's righteousness, implying they're not submitting to the righteousness that is found in Christ. And yet, Christ is Lord of everyone, and He offers to everyone, whoever will call on His name can be saved. Well, how, how are they going to know how to call? 
How are they going to know how to be saved? And so let's drop down in verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You want to know how to get to heaven? You need to follow Christ's instructions. You need to go to the Lord's word. Look to the word of Christ and you can know God's righteousness. You can know the way to heaven. It's found in Christ. It is found in the gospel of Christ. Man's own establishment of righteousness, well, that, that's not acceptable. No matter how zealous, we can be very zealous religiously and still miss the book. Because zeal alone is not the issue. It's all about submitting to the righteousness of Christ, and that comes from hearing the word of Christ, receiving it, and believing it. Salvation is accessible for everybody. But we must call, but we must call in the way that we have been directed to call. And yet, you look outside to the world, you look out your windows, from your homes and from your cars, you just look outward, and what do you see in the world? What you see is multiple faiths, you see multiple religions, all in existence, competing against one another. And so, this is not a comprehensive list. But these are, perhaps, the major ones at the top of the list. And so, there's all kind of religious division. There's all kind of different faiths. The thing is, if Satan, if if he can keep deceiving man with different world religions, if he can keep deceiving us as if this is all okay... Everybody can just do their own thing, do it their own way, because we're all heading in the same direction. Well, then what what is he going to succeed in doing? What he's going to succeed is he's going to keep us from being reconciled to our creator. He's going to keep us from making it to heaven. And that's his goal. His goal is to keep as many people out of heaven as possible. And so, yes, there is multiple faiths and there are multiple religions all out in the world. But they are not all going to heaven. These different paths. Some very different from one another. Extremely different. There is only one God and Father. There is one God and Father. One. And there is one Lord. And there is one Spirit. And there is one faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ reveals. One. Not many. And so there are not many lords, and you can choose the Lord you want to submit to and, and still be okay. No. There's not many lords that are acceptable and will get you to heaven. There's only one Lord who can get you to heaven. There's only one God and Father who will accept you into heaven. And there's only one system of faith that can get you there. The oneness of the truth does not leave the way to heaven simply to our personal discretions 
of each one of us. It's not left to us to decide what we want to do and how we want to do it. No, it's not in us. God has spoken. God sent His Son. And the Son sent the Spirit to guide the apostles and prophets in the New Testament so that we have the truth preserved to this day. The one faith that leads to salvation has been revealed. It is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I find it very interesting that even in, in the short letter of Jude, it's the, it's the next to the last book of the New Testament, next to the last book of the, of the Bible. And it's, it's just one of those one chapter letters. And in verse 3, the disciple uh, Jude, guided by the Holy Spirit, writes, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I wanted to write about salvation and the salvation we share as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, the Son of God. He says, while I was making every effort to write to, write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He says, I find it more necessary right now by the direction of the Spirit that there was a necessity to write about how we must contend, we must fight the good fight for the faith what faith is that? It's the one faith that Paul writes about in Ephesians 4. He says, you need to contend earnestly for the faith which is once for all delivered or handed down to us. There's not going to be another system of faith. There is one faith that is centered in Christ Jesus. It's interesting to me, when you study the New Testament and you begin to look at this, this concept and these themes... That the Holy Scriptures depict two paths from which we choose. Now we look at the world and it's like multiple and it keeps multiplying. It just keeps on multiplying. Like cancer. It just keeps growing. A great tumor on human society. But when the Spirit of God speaks in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says, to sum it up, there's only two. There's two. Now, a lot of people want to justify their beliefs. They want to justify their practices by testifying and suggesting, well, you know, all the roads, we're all heading in the same direction. Well, you can't look at that list of world religions and say we're all heading in the same direction. We are not heading all the same direction. And it may be comforting to say that, that well, we're all going to heaven. That's very comforting to those who don't know what the Bible actually says, who are not studying and reading the scriptures, the word of God, but that com those comforting words are not going to save them because that's not what the Bible says. All roads go to heaven. It says there's two. There's two roads. And only one, only one goes to heaven. Jesus himself taught in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7. You know these words, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. 
For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Two, two ways. In summation, what he's saying, he, he, he's simplifying it for you. He says there, there's a narrow path, and there's a wide path. Yeah. There's not many paths. He's, there's, there's a narrow path and a wide path. Another way to put it more perhaps the yeah, modern way, there's a right way, there's a right path, and there's a wrong path. And these two paths run in opposite directions. They are not heading in the same direction. One leads to life, the other leads to condemnation. Two roads. And he says, and each one of, each one of us have to decide for ourselves which one we're going to take. God's not going to force us to do the right thing. God's not going to force us to put our reliance on His inspired Word and to be a student that follows the teaching of Jesus. He's not going to force us to do that. But He has provided the means that we can be saved. He's provided the means that we can know how to be saved. But you have to decide which one it is. Throughout the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, it basically identifies constantly what I call contrast of two. Constantly throughout you see there's, there's always two. There's God and then there's Satan. Which, which master are you going to serve? There's only two. There's truth and error or truth and falsehood. You know, which one? Are you going to follow the truth? God's word of truth? Or are you going to follow something else? That's erroneous. There's light and there's darkness. There's righteousness and lawlessness. The spirit versus the flesh, life and death, heaven or hell. New Testament is pretty plain in drawing contrast and simplifying it, bringing it down on a level that small children even know. They know the point that God is making. And we better get the point while we still have time. Because sadly, the majority in this world today, the majority choose the wide road. That's what he says. Most people are going to take that wide road. They're going to take that wrong path because why? Well, sometimes they do so because they're following the wrong road signs. They're not paying attention. And they take wrong turns in life. Or maybe just they, they assume that they already know everything and they think they know the way God wants them to be saved. And they're going to do it their own way. Or maybe they're just being a little bit negligent. They're not being attentive. A lot of people prefer the easier road. You know, the road of Christ is narrow. And the idea of narrow there is constricting and hard. That's the idea. It, there's difficulty. You know, Jesus is honest with you and me. He, did, he didn't sugarcoat things. But He gives us hope. He gives us comfort. He gives us peace. He gives us the truth that can save us. And He says, yes, there will be difficulties. There is joys and there's blessings. And unsurpassed peace for you. But it won't necessarily be easy. But a lot of people want to take the easy road. 
the popular one, the, the more attractive one, the one that will make them feel good, the one that say, what you're doing is okay, or, well, everyone else is doing it, so that looks like fun. Let me go that way. Interesting, in the context of Matthew 7, when it talks about these two roads, the narrow versus the wide, the right versus the wrong. In that same chapter, farther on down, as Jesus speaks to that audience on that mountainside of long ago. And the message is still as relevant today as it was then. And still as powerful today as it was then. And it can save us today as it saved those then as well. But in Matthew chapter 7, I find it interesting that Jesus clarifies the fact that uh, there will be even some very zealous believers, some very zealous believers who will not enter heaven. And why is that? Well, because they weren't paying attention to the right road. They weren't listening to God. They weren't accepting and following what God has said, what God has spoken through His Son. The preacher's words is not going to save you. My words have no power. What will save you is the truth. And the truth is God's word. And that truth today is contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can know it. You can read it. You can understand it. And you can obey it. In Matthew 7. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So here are people who are calling Jesus Lord. They recognize him as Lord. He says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's a bit sobering thought, is it not? Do you call him Lord? I hope so. Just because you do doesn't mean you're going to make it to heaven. Not everyone who says Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. Bill referred to this point this morning in class. That there, there are, here are believers who acknowledge Jesus as Lord and they are doing these things for the Lord in their viewpoint. But the Lord, who is not only our Savior but judge, says, will say to these individuals, and we don't know who specifically they are. God's the judge, not me. But the judge, Jesus, will say, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Why is that? Lord? You know, how can you even say, I never knew you? He says, he will say, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. They established their own righteousness. And we're not submitting to God's righteousness. They, they were following lawlessness and not righteousness. So yes, there is only one way to heaven. And the one way is Christ. Christ's way leads to heaven. John 14, 6 states that. Jesus states that very plainly. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the light. Nobody's going to get to the Father except through Him. He is the one. And so you can, you can look at all that list of multiple faiths, multiple religions, but only Christ, only Christ can get you to heaven. And the way of Christ, which is a way of salvation, is a life of obedience. 
It's about obeying Him by faith. Faith submitting to Jesus in every way. In John 14, on the very night that he would, he would be betrayed, he meets the apostles in that room upstairs. And one of the things he said to that inner circle of apostles in verse 23, Jesus said to him, said, actually he was directing this, you know, Specifically you know, to Judas, not the Iscariot, but another apostle named Judas, who had asked a question, and he says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. If we love Jesus, we will keep his word. We'll do what he says. And the only way I know how to do what Jesus says is I've, I've got to study now I've got to keep studying and reading. Do I forget? Yes, I forget sometimes. And I've got to be reminded what Jesus said, what his apostles taught. In Hebrews 4, 5, verse 9, it talks about how Jesus, the author of salvation to all those who obey him. Jesus, the Savior of the world, but he is, he is going to save those. He's going to save those who obey him. James does an excellent job as he continues to be guided by the Holy Spirit and tell us that we are doers of the word, not just hearers. We're doers. We need to hear what God says very attentive, attentively, but then we've got to act on it. If I hear it and then I don't act on what God says, I go a different way, it hasn't done me any good. I've listened in vain. I've listened in vain. And so you think about what James says in chapter 1, there in verse 21. Therefore put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. So there's a call for change, a change of life. I've got to put away the things in my life that are not righteous. Things that he, he describes as filthiness and wickedness. I've got to stop those things. But then I have to go, I gotta go a little further though. I gotta stop doing the bad thing. I gotta stop going down the wrong road. And in humility, he says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. God's word can save you. That's where the power is. It's not in the messenger, it's in the Messiah. It's the one who is the anointed one. It is the one who is the Lord of lords and king of kings, savior of the world, light of the world, bread of life, water of life. That's where the power is. And so his word, when implanted, is able to save your soul. But he goes on, but prove yourselves. It's able to do it. If it doesn't, it's not God's fault. He says, you've got to prove yourself a doer of the word and not merely a hearer who deludes himself. Verse 25, one who looks intently in the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. Not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer. An effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he the way of Christ is not some vague general direction that we can just all just kind of do our own thing and get there any way we want to. Now, we may do that sometimes with geographical locations. 
We may take the long way around and still get to that destination, but you can't do that with eternity. And you can't do that with heaven. There's not this, this general path and you just do it your own way. No. It's through Jesus and it's Jesus' way. It's not David's way. It's not John's way. It's not in man's way. It's Jesus' way. And I've got to listen and I've got to be obedient and I've got to understand it's Christ's commandments. You know, John 14 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Whose commandments do I need to keep? The Lord's. It's Christ's commandments. We're talking about the, the word of God, not some preacher's word. The God's word. It's Christ's commandments. Well, well, how much of that? Well, all of it. In the Great Commission, it recorded by Matthew. Jesus told the apostles when he told them, go preach, make disciples, teaching them to, be, to observe all that I commanded you. Well, how much? Well, a good student listens to all that the master teacher has to say and follows it. It is the gospel of Christ that says, Romans 1.16, and that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of this gospel because that gospel will save believers who have the allegiance and commitment to obey at all costs. And as we already read at the beginning of our assembly this morning, this call, this way of Christ is a way that, yes, calls us to put away sin. We've got to learn about what sin is and, which sin, and what are sins. And know God is the one who defines it and condemns it, not us. And then we've got to start living, we've got to start practicing righteousness and holiness according to God's truth. Are you on the Lord's path? Are you on that way that's leading to heaven? Are you obeying the Lord's commandments? Are you obeying His teaching? When the apostles of, when the apostles of Christ preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, they, and they, in their audience, when they had individuals that had honest hearts and seeking hearts, and would ask, what must we do to be saved? They told them. They told them what they needed to do be, to be forgiven and how to start living for God through Jesus Christ. And they, and they taught the commandments of the Lord. And the commandments of the Lord says you have to believe in me and be willing to confess my name before others. Faith and confession are essential components in turning your life over to Jesus. We have to believe and unashamedly confess that Jesus is the Son of God, Lord and King, Savior of the world, who died on a cross for us. Us sinners. We all are. But that's not all, is it? That's not all what the apostles taught and instructed the honest searching heart because he also called them to repent. And how it is godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation. We can't just stay in sin. We've got to decide, I'm going to stop sinning and I'm starting right now with that decision. It will take me a while to get everything fixed and turned around in my life. But today, 
I'm making a decision of repentance. And I'm giving my life over to Jesus. I'm going to listen to what Jesus says. And I'm going to start that journey with baptism. By being buried with Christ in the bed, just as he commanded. Because baptism does save us. Oh, it's not like taking a bath. You know, it's not going to wash away the germs on your skin, the dirt under your fingernails. But by faith, the penitent believer submits to the Lord's commandment. And when you're baptized into Jesus, they're doing so by faith for the remission of the sins. And God says, I will wash away your sins. God's the one. Jesus is the one who takes the sin and the guilt away. And you put your trust in him. And that from that day on, you start living for him every day. If you're not a Christian, you've not submitted to the call of Jesus Christ in obedience to his commandments, we want to invite you, we want to encourage you to do so. If you believe and you're ready to make that commitment, you're ready to give that allegiance to Jesus, we're ready to assist you to take your confession and to bury you in the watery grave of baptism so that you can be raised up to live the life of a disciple of Jesus. Whatever your need may be spiritually, if you'd please come forward, make your wishes known as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.